right, as they go through or as the handouts are being distributed, thank you, Titus and Royal. Uh, quick recap, we're working through the series on how to study the Bible. So we started off with why to study the Bible, why it's important, and the approach that we have with it. And then Charlie covered how we can trust that the Bible we have in our hands is still the, uh, the, what was originally written through the human author and through the Holy Spirit, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We then had Pastor Dave talk through resources that we can use as part of our Bible study. And then last week we started the process. So how do we go about the process of Bible study? So we started the beginning of the process, and tonight we're going to finish that up, Lord willing. So a quick, I'm going to spend, my goal is less than five minutes to recap last week. So I think there's three people here tonight that weren't here last week. I do have extra handouts from, from last week, so I'll provide those. And also I've emailed most of you because a couple of you asked for copies of that. So if I have your email address, I emailed it to you. If you did not receive it, I don't have your email address or I messed up. So let me know and I'll get it to you. I think I just sent that today. So recap from... Last week, so we talked about uh, the difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible, and about how they're, they're both important and are both spiritual disciplines, and our study here, and our focus was on studying Scripture, which is what we're covering tonight, is studying, or how to study Scripture. We talked about how God did not make his word unclear, that it's not a book of secrets and riddles, it's read as a communication. It's written as a communication for us to be able to understand. Uh, one of the verses that we referenced and we've gone to often is 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. A couple key principles when we talked about our starting point before we got into the process is of being able to understand the word that is provided to us. One of the terms we used was authorial intent. So does anybody want to take a crack at remembering what authorial intent means? Tim. Yes, yes. To be able to read and hear what the author intended. So I think our, what we had on the sheet, the verbatim was, the goal when reading scripture is to determine the meaning the biblical writers meant to communicate at the time of the communication. So we talked about, we can't know the mind of the author outside of what the author has written, right? So we read what they wrote to understand their communication. And then we also talked about the principle of one meaning. Somebody besides Tim Gordon on principle of one meaning. Justin. Hmm. So we don't go into it with trying to, to read a meaning into it. We read, as, as we talk about authorial intent, with finding that the, the meaning that the author intended. Uh, how many meanings are there in what's written when we read scripture normally? One, as Charlie says, one meaning. How many applications? I see limitless. I see a lot. Yeah, so potentially many, many applications. One meaning, potentially many, many applications. So, that is a foundation. So let me go back into the first three steps in the process that we talked about, about last week. So we began the process with, we start with affirmation. So on your sheets, I think you have all nine, nine steps in a box, and we'll, we'll talk through those. The first one with affirmation as a recap is that it is God's word. Therefore, we accept it as inerrant. 
that it is meaning it's truthful, it's free from error, and that it's infallible, that we can trust it. So it's truthful and we can trust it. It's inerrant and it's infallible. So that's our starting point. So we have the original writings and we can trust what they are is true. There's one ultimate author that put this all together. So you're going to have one harmonious account. Right? So we can trust what is there. The second is, oh, uh, one comment that I really like that I want to say again with affirmation is we need to be teachable and submissive to Scripture even when Scripture condemns our actions and steps on our toes. And then the second item was preparation. So what does preparation mean as a step? What do we do in the preparation step? We pray. We pray. So we look for guidance through the Holy Spirit. So we talk about the author being, I talk about the big A author, the Holy Spirit, and the small A, the human. And then we have the Holy Spirit indwelt inside of us as the, the circle for understanding. So we pray for, to the Holy Spirit to provide guidance as we, as we read his word. Third step is around observation. So that's where we spent the majority of our, our time last week. Uh, I had a comment on the sheet around observation that the goal of the observation step is to gather a basic knowledge of what the text is saying. I would like to rephrase that one slightly. So we talked about uh, Louis Agassi as the, the one example of the hemulon fish, and you observe the hemulon fish for three days. So even though the only step he did in that whole process was observation, he learned a lot more than a basic understanding and basic insight. So through the observation step, we can actually get a deep knowledge through observation before we even move further. So I don't want to understate observation, even though I felt like it was a strong emphasis of last week of don't rush past observation. I want to say that again. Don't rush past observation and don't rush past the step of finding the meaning of the scripture before we get into application. So, uh, for observation, we talked about the example of going to a doctor, and none of us are too keen of going to a doctor who would quickly start giving you the diagnosis before you even talk to him. So the same thing with observation. To take his time, to understand what's going on, to really understand the situation is what we're looking for in the observation step. Uh, from there, I think we are ready to dive into picking up what's new this week with step four. So step four of investigation. So we talked about when we approach scripture, and last week we went through Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and we said approach it with, I don't remember if I said an investigative spirit or an inquisitive spirit. So I'll say whatever of those two verbs you like better. Ultimately, we're approaching scripture with the desire to really dive into it and to learn. So to have a, an investigative spirit as we approach it. So we wrote observations to feel the process. We went through it kind of quick, but we had a little bit of time to write down observations. And also while we were writing down the observations, we took a moment to say, as you're observing things, write down the what questions and the why type questions, especially of what are things you don't know just from the first read through. And as you observe it more, start recording those because the next step is the, the investigation where we're going to go into it further. So, so you've already started with some questions of what and why type questions. When you get into the investigation phase or step, it's, um, you're beginning the work to answer those questions. So how do you go about answering all these questions that you wrote? So some key resources is first starting with the context. So making sure you're really understanding with what you wrote, what's going on before this, what's going on after it to help set the stage. Of, can, can some of it be answered with context already? We talked about one divine author. 
So we start looking at cross-references as the next key step. So within that passage, you, most Bibles, you'll have the cross-references available. So the areas that you had for observation that you want to go further into, start reading the cross-reference verses. That is the, really the whole principle of Scripture interpreting Scripture. Then you have some words in there that, that stand out. You can tell they're important words, but you wonder what exactly do they mean by this word and how else is it used in Scripture. So then there's the opportunity to utilize some resources of doing that word study. So you can, you can see where else that exact same word has been used in Scripture, find out the meanings for it to best understand, which, based on this context, which meaning makes sense at this point in the investigation. So all of this, uh, a lot of opportunity to utilize other resources, a lot that Pastor Dave talked through a few weeks ago, and a lot of opportunity to utilize just Scripture to go through it. So... Um, I recommend to try to start often heavily in, in Scripture itself and be doing and digging those nuggets and treasures yourself. But I don't want to use the term pride because it's the wrong term. There are a lot of very excellent teachers that are great to learn from also. So it's, it's good to be able to start in, into it. That, like, have you ever had, let me say it this way, if, like Pastor Mark this Sunday is probably covering 1 John 4, starting at verse 13. So most likely, Lord willing. To be able to look at those verses beforehand, spend a little bit of time studying them on your own, and then come into a Sunday service and see what you learn from the message versus uh, kind of a first fresh read. When you've gone through some of that study yourself, the learning is so much more fresh, and it gives you a stronger conviction because you're, you're building it yourself. So let me go into, let's go and do the investigation step right away on Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So... Tonight we'll do this, we'll talk about the step and then we'll do the step within this passage. So your second handout is, well, we've got the worksheet, worksheet two of two. And the first side of it is step four, investigation. So quickly to, as we get into the passage, let's not shortcut our steps. So we, um, we know going in, we believe this to be inerrant, trustworthy. Uh, we'll pray for guidance from the Holy Spirit, and we've already done the observation step. So let us pray as we go into reading this scripture again and, and continue in the steps to, to study it. So dear Lord, we pray as we continue to, to read through this passage in scripture that you have provided, that you would provide us wisdom through the Holy Spirit, that you would, you would guide us, that you would uh, provide for us to know what you intended in the scripture and then help us and our steps of, of application to be to be doers of the word. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. All right, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. You also have it on the bottom of your sheet, so you've got it available for, for circling it and making notes. Let me go ahead and read it. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right, let me read it one more time, since we're going to spend the next half hour on this passage. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. 
And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right, so last week I heard uh, several of the questions that were recorded as we went through the observation step. I'm going to go through on the sheet the, some of the questions that I worked through as, a, as an example of working through the process. So this is not address, does not address all the questions that were asked last week and does not address all the questions that I'm sure you wrote down as you were going through the observation step on your own. So my questions began with understanding the context of the whole situation of why are the disciples going to Galilee? What does the situation look like? What are they expecting when they get there? So why are they going there in the first place? What do they expect when they get there? And then we talked about the context before and after. What happens immediately after this? We talked about after this is the end of the Gospel of Matthew. So what actually happens right after this moment? So working through first the context. So what happens before this? Why are they going there? So Matthew 28, 2 through, two through 4 first. And if you have it open, you can, you can look at it with me, but I'll read it out loud. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. All right, so at the beginning in Matthew 28, 2 through 7, we have an angel of the Lord. It doesn't say the angel of the Lord, but we see that angel of the Lord instructed Mary to tell the disciples to go to Galilee where Jesus will meet them. And if we would stop there, we'd also miss in verses 9 and 10. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. So not only did, did the, an angel of the Lord instruct Mary to go tell the disciples to go to Galilee, then just a little bit later, we also saw that Jesus came to Mary and instructed them to, to go to Galilee. So why are they going? They were instructed through Mary, or ultimately from angel of the Lord and Jesus, uh, to tell the disciples to go there. Now looking at the what else happened from this moment until they arrive and see, and see Jesus in this passage, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So this is where we can do some harmonization. And look at the other Gospels, especially at Luke. Luke is primarily a chronological account. So we can see, hey, is there some other information in the other Gospels that will tell us what happened? Especially when when I read Matthew 28 and between verses 15 and 16, you can almost read that and say, there's got to be something else that's happened between these two verses. So Matthew 28, 15 says, And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. So this is talking about the soldiers. And this story was widely spread among the Jews, and this, and is to this day. And then verse 16, 
But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus has designated. So going over into the end of Luke, picking up at verse 24, or chapter 24, uh, I'm not going to read all of 13 through 35, but you can quickly look at Luke, see where it picks up at the same spot. And so what happened in verses 13 through 35 is that's where Jesus appeared to two disciples on their way to Emmaus. And then, so 13 through 35 was the two disciples on the the road to Emmaus. Continuing in Luke, same area, but 36 through 43, he then appeared to the astonished disciples, all of them except for Thomas. So this was the encounter where they were in the room and he appears minus Thomas. Uh, We can go over. So he's appeared, he's made other appearances, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, 36 through 43, to the astonished disciples minus Thomas. And then when we go over to John, uh, in chapter 20, verses 26 through 31, uh, to the disciples, this time with Thomas. And so some of this with Luke, you can read through Luke and see that it's going through chronologically, but there are other resources out there for seeing a harmonization, a chronological harmonization. I know MacArthur has one. Most study Bibles will have it before you get in, before you start with uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And then I also have one that I, I use from uh, Dr. Bookman in, the, in my Life of Christ class that I just rave about. I think it's, I think it's great. So I'm, I'm happy to share that. Uh, so that's the one I'm, I'm utilizing as I go through here. Also, John 21 occurs before they arrive. So this is, the disciples are on their way up to Galilee, to the mountain where they're supposed to meet. And then John 21 happens of the seven disciples that are fishing in the Sea of Galilee. So this is the whole encounter with Peter. That is a complete side note, but a real quick comment is that probably the favorite, my favorite sermon I've ever heard was John MacArthur preaching on John chapter 21 at Shepherd's Conference and this moment with, with Peter and what's happening here. And, and I also say that because it helped build up that Peter then at this point hears that he now knows he will be loyal to Jesus until he dies, that he will not... He will not I'm going to say mess up again with what he, the whole situation earlier where he denied him and he said he won it. Now in John 21, Peter has a newfound vigor and strength knowing that he will be, have strong allegiance to Jesus until his death. So that helps set the tone of now we're up at Matthew 28:16 through 20 and the passage we just read occurs. They see Jesus. He's, he's there. He instructs. So first are these his final words before he ascends. Uh, Continuing in the Luke passage, we see that Jesus actually ascended from uh, a mountain east of Jerusalem. So quickly looking at the map, we're looking at from Galilee down to Jerusalem is probably at least 50 miles. So this was not immediate. So when Matthew 28, 16 through 20 happens, it was not that he gave this instruction and then immediately ascended because we can see that he ascended from the mountain down uh, Mount Olivet, I believe it's pronounced, um, uh, near Bethany. And we also, when we read Luke 24, 44, 44 through 51, it says Jesus led them to Bethany. So he gave, this, gave them this instruction, and then he led them to Bethany before he ascended. Uh, trying to go a little bit further on it is a cross-reference outside of the Gospels. 
in 1 Corinthians 15, it gives the orderly account of when Jesus appeared to others after his death. And so one of the, the comments it makes in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, is that he appeared to 500 brethren at one time. Um, and it appears also to James, the half-brother of Jesus, which is probably his conversion experience. Uh, was this moment the 500 brethren at one time? And does that help explain who was doubting? I'm unsure. I didn't go all the way down that path. So uh, that's an open question I have yet of this time when the Great Commission happens, who's all there? I'm still not extremely clear, but I didn't take it as far as, as you could take it. So I've left that one on the side for one to dig into further, but it, uh, it is interesting there. That could be part of the path of, of why were people doubting and who was doubting. So uh, the next question I had on the investigation stage uh, was what does it mean that Jesus has all authority? So first, I want to look within the passage itself. Uh, it said within at Matthew twenty-eight eighteen that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. So all authority in heaven and earth. And John, and then we look at so the cross references that were the exact ones that were with this passage on the note of all authority are the, the four that I have listed below there. So John 3, 35. The Father gave the Son authority over all things. So he has authority over heaven and earth. Father gave the Son authority over all things. John 5, 27. He has authority to execute judgment. 1 Peter 3, 22. He has authority over the angels. So over heaven and earth, over all things, over ju- uh, to execute judgment authority over the angels, and then Philippians 2.9, his name is above any other name. So some definition of, from looking at those cross-references of all authority that Jesus has, so when he has all authority to give them that commission, the commission to the disciples. Also, what is included in making disciples? So a two-part question for this one and the next one is, when we talk about making disciples, what does that mean? What is it actually involved? And then how would you define disciple? So... For looking at the cross references and making disciples, uh, first within the passage itself was the includes baptizing, teaching to observe all that Jesus commanded them. We look at a cross reference in Mark sixteen fifteen through sixteen. It says to proclaim the gospel to all creation. So this cross reference is explaining the same event, the the Great Commission to proclaim the gospel to all creation. And also a cross-reference on John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Going further on, what is a disciple? So here I utilize just um, a Bible dictionary. The Easton's Bible Dictionary is the one I used but it's a definition of a disciple of Christ is one who believes his doctrine, rests on his sacrifice, imbibes his spirit, and imitates his example. I had to look up imbibes. Uh, it went with uh, absorbs is another word for imbibes. So what is a disciple? A disciple believes his doctrine, rests on his sacrifice, absorbs his spirit, and imitates his example. Uh, I have a few passages here. I'm just going to read them quickly of a cross-reference from the Bible dictionary. It referenced three verses 
for the definition it just provided to help give it the, um, I'll say, what is it standing on to give that definition? So in John six sixty nine, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And John eight thirty one, so John six sixty nine talked about belief. John eight thirty one says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. John fifteen eight says. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. So John 15, 8 talked about bearing fruit is what a disciple would do. And Luke 14, 26, 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And I'm reading the cross-references quickly, but always to remember that, make sure you understand the cross-reference in the context. Don't make the mistake of just taking those, look at the context to better understand them as you're reading them. Uh, and so the John 14, 26, 27, talking about, this is, you got to make a choice. Right? The allegiance to Jesus is, about, is part of a disciple. And then my, the last question that I worked through on the investigation phase for here was, there was a very emphatic command when we did the observation. That I, I forget which version it was, but one of them said, Behold. And then the version, the NASB, it said, Lo. And it said, How can the disciples do what Jesus commanded them? In Matthew 16, 20, he said, I am with you always. And then looking a little bit further into, okay, we're going through this context. We're on the, the mountain up by Galilee. And then we went down, the disciples went with them to uh, east of Jerusalem where the ascension occurred and then what happens in, at that point in church history, so we go into to Acts 1.8 and receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So how can we do it? Uh, because he is with us always. So now going from that step of investigation into step five, interpretation. I'll say that's the longest step of the night, so if you're trying to pace by time, don't worry, we're all right. So interpretation. So let me say some comments on it, and then we'll do interpretation back specifically to this passage. So for interpretation, we've, uh, we've come up with answers to hopefully the right questions. So we, we utilized observation to help guide us. We looked at emphatic terms. We looked at some comparisons, some contrast. So some wisdom to say what questions should we be asking as we're observing here. And utilizing the correct principles, we are now in a position to explain what the passage means. So now this is where it can be a little challenging because this is often where the phrase analysis paralysis, you guys ever use that one? So I can, I can, I can fall victim to that. So you've done a whole bunch of work but now how can you put it in just a clear sentence, a clear instruction to be able to have it as a takeaway for yourself and then how you could go and explain it to others. So there's a quote that, see if anybody knows the, uh, who said it, I won't say. But it's, uh, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Anybody know who said that? So it was Einstein said that, so... But Einstein's using the principle of clarity from reading scripture that says, comes to the clearest, most logical conclusion. So after we've read 
we've interpreted, we've gone through the investigation, or we've gone through the investigation. Now, what is our takeaway from this passage? So what did God mean through this passage? What we do as one succinct takeaway? So in my own words, uh, step five. Jesus has given a commandment to to the disciples that within his authority, he has commanded his disciples to go and make disciples and that he will always be with them in their mission. So restating that as my, if I had to take this as my interpretation from the work that was done in the investigation and then just had to simplify it to be able to teach it to others, Jesus has given a commandment to the disciples that within his authority, he has commanded his disciples to go and make disciples and that he will always be with them in their mission. So now we've interpreted, we have the meaning, but we're only on step five. Like you'd say, hey, it kind of feels like we're done, right? We, we went through all the work to find the meaning. But you know that is not the case. So continuing into the next step. So the next step is on correlation. And I say these as steps as if they're sequential, but uh, I want to clarify also when, when we're looking at especially these steps around observation, interpretation, investigation, then we're going to talk about correlation of going deeper in other areas. A lot of times my arrows are all over the place. Like you start getting into correlation and you find something new that you want to investigate further. Or when you're in interpretation, you realize some new observations. So a lot of times you're, you're going back and forth. It's not just necessarily a sequential, I'm hitting step for step for step. So correlation is taking the approach that when we talk about, we talk about scripture, we don't talk about scriptures. So with this being one book, not 66 books, what else has God said about a certain theme or a subject? So an example I have, so I really think of it how you start seeing things with a greater depth or clarity. My, uh, my personal example, this is, I don't know if it's a good one or not, but it's mine, so I'm just going to go with it, is I delayed a long time before I went and got my eyes checked when I was growing up. And my vision was... Uh, was a little rough, and I'd never admit that. And then finally, in high school, I got my eyes examined, and I got glasses. And I remember when, <laughs> when I left the doctor's office, not only could I see things that I've seen all the time much clearer, so all of a sudden things were vivid, which I didn't even know that was possible, because I always thought I could see fine. But I remember on the horizon, I could see a lake that I could never even tell that there was a lake there before. So for, <laughs> for my, own, my own application of correlation is now that you've taken this, so about making disciples, and what does this mean? And you start taking it further in other areas, and you start looking at other scriptures to dive further into it. Now you start getting this new level of clarity. And sometimes it's, it goes beyond seeing that current picture clearer, but also into seeing what's, what's around it a lot clearer too. So it really grows that depth because the correlation step is, is doing that. It's going further into clarity and further into depth. Uh, so you're asking yourself, is there anything else about the passage that I can learn elsewhere in the Bible? Yeah, so, seeking, so correlation is seeking to see the part in light of the whole. So the part, the passage that we're reading through the whole of the entire Bible. Um, so one, one comment I have when looking through this is that we're talking through these, and the steps are simple. 
but it doesn't mean it's easy and you don't get better at it, right? So especially with correlation. So you know the steps. You know, hey, I'd like to learn more about what does it mean to be a disciple. I can follow these steps to find it out more. But as you do this more, that starts growing it as a skill also. So when you have the Holy Spirit enablement to be able to understand Scripture better, but as you're doing this more and more, not only are you understanding Scripture better, so it, it, it helps you as you're studying passage by passage, but you also start getting better at understanding which tools to use and when and which, what are some good paths to follow as you do it, as you do it more and more. So the correlation example I put on this one, so step six, is I just listed a, a few of them here. So I didn't go further down on the path of what does it mean that some doubted and who doubted and what did they doubt? So that'd be a good word study to look up and say, what does that term doubt really actually mean? Uh, what does it mean to make, a to, to make disciples? So a key part of this was to go and make disciples. In our, in our step in interpretation, we started talking through and we said, here's some things that were evident right away of making disciples from this passage and then from the cross-references. But it, if this is the key command that was just given, I'd sure like to even go further and understand what that means. So I think that's a great opportunity to keep going further with it. And then the, the, another question is, he says we have the power to do this because he is with us always. So what does that mean? What does that mean? So opportunities for, for further exploration, which then just drive more observation. You see where the cycle goes, where now you're, you're digging all kinds of gems and it just gets exciting and there's no real end to this journey until, uh, until the Lord takes you away. But that's a, a great journey to be on. Going into step seven. So we've gone through it, we've observed, we've investigated what we've observed, we've done a one-line takeaway to say, how could I easily communicate this to others and to myself as a, one, as a one truth from the passage? We've gone into correlation to go further and dive further, and we've probably gone in a circle a few times with it, but now the next step into personalization. So the question being asked is how does this verse apply to most Christians today? So I'm going to ask it a little bit more general as a, as a starting point. So not specifically to me yet, but generally, how would this apply to most Christians today? So returning to the doctor's office example, so at this point, he's, he's taken the test, he's investigated the test specifically on me, and he's now provided a, a diagnosis. So now that's where we're at in this, this passage. We know what the problem is. I have pneumonia. And whatever I take for pneumonia is now what I'm going to be prescribed. So, so looking into, I've been prescribed my medicine for pneumonia. Does anybody know what they prescribe for pneumonia? Is it an antibiotic? I've got my antibiotics. But if I don't take my antibiotics, what happens? Still, if I can get worse, I'm still going to have pneumonia. So now I, I may know a core truth. But if I do nothing about it, it's going back to the, the James verse of being hearers of the word but not doers of the word. So we read for transformation. So why do we read scripture to find the meaning? Why do we go through that effort and the observation and to make sure we interpret it correctly? Ultimately, we do that because we want to be transformed by the text. So what God has provided, what we've come to understand through this process. One thing to stress is that not all application is go do, but a lot of times the application is believe this. Right? Um, one example is oftentimes when we look at 
miracles that Jesus performed. Sometimes he's performing those miracles just to prove that he's the Messiah. So our application is believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And then you can go back into verse, the passage we just read of what do we do about that, how with that being kind of the, the most important thing, now how do we go share that with others? Uh, the, so one rule, and I've said it and I'll stress it, but it's good to stress it over and over, is to make sure whatever you have for the application, whatever we have for the application, it goes back to be connected to that single meaning of the text. So we don't want wayward applications. Uh, Justin cited it well at the beginning to make sure we're not going into the scripture with our, our own glasses of what's going on here in 2019 in Medina, Ohio, and trying to understand the scripture with that lens, but we're finding the meaning of the scripture and then the application that comes from that meaning. So on over to our, our passage, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, on verse 7. So how does this verse apply to most Christians today? All Christians are disciples who have been called to make disciples in obedience to Christ. If I had to say, how does this verse apply to to Christians today? All Christians are disciples who have been called to make disciples and to do that as part of being obedient to Christ, to the command that he has provided. So now we know generally what to do for personalization. Now let's get a little bit more specific. So on this one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you guys when we get there of how would you apply it for anybody that would like to share. So appropriation is now taking it truly beyond that in intellect. And the fruit of the labor from the head now go into the hands and feet. So instead of saying this is how it applies for all you guys, which makes a lot of sense, this is what I'm going to do about it. So this is, what am I specifically going to do to apply this truth to my life? Um, I like to say at work is you have some, some high ambitions and milestones, and you may have some goals that are down the road months from now, but my first question is, what are you going to do in a week as you work towards that goal? So as you look at this passage, and you think about it for yourself, what are you going to do to apply this truth? And taking a step further, what are you going to do this week to apply this truth? You've been given the command to make disciples. Anybody have anything that they already know that they're going to, they're going to Lord willing, do this week? Thank you for sharing, Dave. I mean, especially with a lot of time you've had at the square lately of sharing the gospel and 
And then a lot of the follow-up conversations from, from what you've been telling is there's a lot of people that will profess faith, but you really start going into that further. What does that mean? And teaching truth. That's good. Yeah, go ahead, Tim. Very strong point. Thank you, Tim. All right, so let oh, Tim, Titus, go ahead. Very good, yep. I like that. Very well said. So to be praying for the opportunities and to act on the opportunities. Very well said, Titus. All right, into step nine. So our final step. Uh, we talked about in the interpretation step that we we came we wanted to simplify it one statement that's uh, the the teaching type of statement. This last step is now teaching, right? So taking it to the step of of what you've learned and starting to do that disciple process of of sharing it with others. Uh, true learning does not occur until the student is able to teach someone else what he has been taught. So I think of the, think of the times where you've been studying something in Scripture and then that conversation comes up. And how many times do you say, I was just studying that? Like, it feels like it happens all the time, which is a, a great thing. So I, I say it a couple ways. One is to be intentional of knowing who you can share these new truths with as you, as you study them and come across them. And to be thinking specifically, who could I be sharing that with? But also be praying for those opportunities because they, they will present themselves. So good Bible study it takes time and it takes work to develop. And it's a process that can be improved upon. So I think um, what we talk through here is uh, a method with nine steps that can be utilized as we continue on this series of how to study the Bible uh, we'll start going into, within some of these steps, things to, to be on the lookout for, things to do to, to sharpen your skill, to be able to, to improve, improve your interpretation and Bible study, interpretation and application. Any questions or additional comments before I wrap us up and close us in prayer? I'm glad you said that because it reminded me because I, I made a comment last week. I'm saying of saying I don't I haven't followed these exact steps before. So I'd, and then afterwards, it was did you guys walk away saying well this is what you guys should do but he never actually does it so that was just good talk. So that is definitely not what I meant. So I I I, I like how Dave phrased it. Of uh, I've seen it as phases before of going through the observation step, going through the interpretation step, and then from that application. I haven't followed these exact nine steps uh, before. Some of the ones that were, 
I mean, correlation I've, I've built into the investigation interpretation. Some of them I've kind of clumped together. So I, I can see some value in how they've broken them apart. Um, but I do like the additional detailed steps of appropriation and proclamation. I've never been intentional to really think through those two steps at the end of teaching it to others and then uh, being very specific of how exactly am I going to do this and when. So I think those are some, some good new learnings for myself when I was going through it also. Valerie. Thank you, Valerie. Very, very good to take take your time and look. Yeah, it's great. All right, let me uh, let me go ahead and close this in prayer. All right, dear Lord, we're so thankful to be able to to spend this time together as we we continue to strive and desire to to know your word. So, Lord, we pray that through through the Holy Spirit, through the word that you have provided, that we can that we read that we understand, that we apply. Lord, help us in any truths as, they, as we come across them and they, they step on our toes. Help us not to resist where that pain is, but to, but to learn from it and to truly to grow in the areas that you desire us as we ultimately want to fulfill the purpose of to become more like Christ. We thank you for providing uh, your word that is there for instruction, for training, for rebuke. Uh, Lord, help us to, to, to just have a, a vast desire to learn it more and to be able to be, to be patient, to, to take our time, to not rush it, and to truly grow and have a, a conviction of the truths that you provide. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.